When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to 3 and 30 Takeaways for Moms, and this episode is sponsored by KiwiCo. Something I'm continuing to learn about in 2023 is the psychology of burnout and the small things we can do to help complete the stress cycle. It's fascinating to me. I love learning, and I hope to pass that love of learning down to my kids. One thing that can combat stress is creating, especially creating with your hands, And KiwiCo knows a thing or two about delivering moments of discovery through fun, hands-on learning projects. Each month, they deliver super cool science, technology, and art projects for kids. Choose from nine different subscription lines for different ages and categories. There's something for every kid. My son Noah loves to create, and recently he's been doing projects from the Eureka Crate, which inspires little innovators to think about the design and engineering behind everyday objects. The electric pencil sharpener project was perfect for his engineering brain. Make 2023 the year of discovery with KiwiCo. Get 50% off your first month on any crate line at kiwico.com slash 3 in 30. That's 50% off your first month at kiwico.com slash 3 in 30. Welcome to 3 in 30, a podcast for moms who want to create more meaning in motherhood. Each 30-minute episode will feature three doable takeaways for you to try at home with your family this week. I'm your host, Rachel Nielsen. Thank you so much for being here. If you're listening to this episode right when it airs, it's the week of Valentine's Day, and I thought that called for a special episode all about relationships, specifically how to navigate the most important relationships in our lives when one of us is experiencing a shift in religious belief. This can feel disorienting, devastating, and sometimes insurmountable for a marriage or a partnership. But I want you to know that this is not insurmountable. You can still have a strong, connected, healthy family, even if you have different religious beliefs. There's so much hope, and today's guest is going to teach us some tools we can use to support our partner if they are going through a faith transition, and to support ourselves through this uncertain time as well. Katie Mount is a mom of four and the co-host with her husband, Alan, of the podcast Marriage on a Tightrope. She has presented at dozens of conferences, been a guest on many podcasts, and has hosted several meetups and retreats about strengthening your marriage when one or both of you is on a faith journey. She's also partnered with a therapist to provide a space where hundreds of couples have gone through a workshop to help strengthen their marriage, and I can't wait for you to gain tools and hope from her today. I did want to mention before we get started that I did a solo episode last week about my experience navigating a personal faith crisis. So if you missed that, it might be worth going back to listen to as a companion to this episode. The lessons I've learned these past few years are invaluable to me, and I hope they might help someone who's in a dark and difficult place, because I have been there and it is agonizing. And I just want to tell you that there is so much hope no matter where your faith crisis or the faith crisis of a loved one takes you. Everything is going to be okay. And I hope that these back-to-back episodes about faith crisis will leave you with that hopeful feeling. So with that introduction, here's my conversation with Katie Mount of the Marriage on a Tightrope podcast. 
Katie, welcome to 3 and 30. It is so wonderful to be talking with you today. Oh, I am a huge fan. And so I've been so excited for this upcoming episode and chat with you. Well, we have needed to have this conversation on 3 and 30 for a long time. A lot of women reach out to me when they themselves are having a faith transition, a faith crisis, or when someone that they love is, particularly a partner. It is an emotional painful experience for all involved. And I always refer them to your podcast because your entire podcast is about this. So why don't we start with, can you tell us a little bit about your personal experience with this topic? What led you to doing work around faith journeys and a little bit about your show? Sure. So in 2016, my husband experienced a shift in faith and he kept it pretty secret pretty quiet for me for a long time. And he said, you know, I have questions and I'm going to get to the bottom of my questions. And I said, well, I support you. Let me know if I can do anything to help you. And that was about six months (laughs) before he said anything else. Mm -hmm. And what he did tell me after was that he had concluded that he no longer believed in the religion of our upbringing and really what we based our whole paradigm and family structure around. Mm. And that was really, really painful. And I would say I was in like a deep mourning for a while, for six or seven or eight months. And I went to a leader because I had never known anyone in this situation where a spouse had left. And I went to a leader and I asked him, is there anybody I can talk to? Is there anyone that has a roadmap to teach me how to do this? And I said, I, you don't have to tell me right now. I just need to know that I'm not alone. Mm-hmm. And is there anyone in the whole neighborhood and area that you could give me that would talk to me? And he thought about it. And then he said, nope, there's no one. Oh <laughs> and gosh. that floored me because I thought one of two things was happening. Either People are lying about where they are in the church and how they're feeling, or two, they're silently slipping away because there's no resources for them. Mm. And we've found both to be true. Mm. So from that, my husband has a background in podcasting. And so I said, hey, what if we did this podcast about our mixed faith marriage, about how we're dealing with and working through all the problems that we encounter And he said, yes, let's do it. And it kind of just took off from there. We weren't sure like what kind of response we would have. But pretty immediately, we had a lot of people reaching out to us. And we realized this is so much bigger than we thought it was. Yeah. And so we've been doing it now for, gosh, it's almost been five years in February. And although we feel like we've come to a really good, healthy place in our marriage, we are constantly still working through things. I don't think it ever goes away. I think you just find a good communication pattern and a good way to work through those super hard, difficult topics. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And hold space for each other and hold space for each other's belief or lack of belief and the shifts and the changes. I first heard the poem Valentine on your podcast, Carolyn Pearson wrote this beautiful poem, and I will read it at the end of this episode, but about how when you get married or when you join your life with somebody, you think that you're going to be like one of those Valentines that folds in half where 
you, you cut it out and the halves are perfectly aligned. And then you grow old together and you change and you shift and those edges don't necessarily perfectly line up anymore. But the center can be aligned even if the edges are different shapes and the heart looks a little bit different than it did when you were first married. And that touched me so deeply. And that is such a profound metaphor for so many different things in marriages, not just shifts in your faith, but shifts in all sorts of things that when you get married, you know, depending on the age you got married, there's so much of life you hadn't lived yet. Of course, you're going to change and grow, but you can keep that core that aligned in the middle and allow for each other to change and grow over the course of your marriage. Yeah. And I love Carolyn Pearson. She puts so well into words how a lot of us are feeling. And, you know, Alan and I have realized that, you know, when you get married, there's this thought of, well, you belong to me and I belong to you. And now we are one, which means we do everything in sync and our decisions are in sync. When in reality, you have different ways of raising children, ideas of what you want your life to look like. And especially if there's an extrovert and an introvert, you know, there are lots of things that you have to work through. And certainly religion is not the only thing because your ideas about politics change. Mm-hmm. It, it affects every part of your relationship. Mm-hmm. And coming to understand that you can hold different beliefs and still be unified as a couple is incredibly powerful and not easy at all. So <laughs> I know that that differentiation yes. within a marriage is a hard thing to do. Yes. So I'm so excited to learn from you. And these takeaways come from your experience in your own marriage, as well as the hundreds now of couples you've talked to and the research you've done. This goes beyond just anecdotal conversations with people. I know you have read and talked to experts on faith crisis and worked with a therapist in developing curriculum for marriages. So this comes from a lot of research, both personal and academic. So I'm excited. Let's start in with your first takeaway. Okay. So my first takeaway, we ask that you shift from truth-based to utility-based belief. Now, what do I mean by that? So truth-based belief is your statements regarding anything that is based in what you grew up learning and knowing in your religion, right? Mm. So for my husband, if I said to him, I believe in Christ, you know, that could be a statement I would say. And But maybe he's shifted, which he has, and he does not believe in Christ. So really, this is about what works for you and realizing that it doesn't always work for your partner. Mm-hmm. So one thing that we teach is that we talk about using for me language. So It's a much easier way to communicate your thoughts and ideas when I say to my spouse, for me, this is how I feel about religion. And in return, my husband can say, for me, this is how I feel about religion. And, you know, that is a great way to communicate so that it's not so emotionally charged. You're Mm -hmm. each allowing the other to express their differences using those for me language and not the, well, this is what we believe (laughs) because that no longer works in your marriage. Yeah. Well, and I think that even the statement, we believe this in a group 
anywhere, it can be very isolating for the people sitting there that think, well, I have a slightly different belief or take on that. Suddenly you very much feel like the outsider. Everyone here believes this except for me, so I am not a part. So in your family, if you're always talking that way, it doesn't leave any room for anybody to sort of question the dynamics of the group without feeling very, very alone and like they're not a part anymore of that unit. Right. And another way you can express it is in my experience, because not all of us have the same experiences and we're all seeing through different lenses. So you can say, in my experience... I've felt this way or I've seen this. And that is also another helpful thing to talk about. When you talk about like connection, you know, even though that you're having these differences, you can find ways to connect on your values. This doesn't mean that you don't share values any longer. Mm -hmm. And in our course, one of the things we like to do is to have couples right off the bat connect through values and identify what they still hold dear to them. And as a couple, come up with ways that they can foster those values in their home. I know that a lot of people have children in the home, and this is a tricky one because they think, well, if we aren't talking about religion anymore, how are we teaching them values? And it's a great activity to do where you identify the values you connect on that speak to you, And then you can write your own family proclamation. You can write your own family values and have it as kind of a guidepost for you and your spouse. So some of the things we've heard in people's values exercise they've done is they've said things like, we foster a home of compassion. They say things like, we work hard and play hard. We serve those around us. We value opinions of the family members and we respect each person and love our differences. Mm. And I feel like that's a really powerful way that we can bring it back to connection within the family and seeing what does work for you, not just what does not work for you. Yeah, that's so beautiful. I had a conversation with a therapist that I really respect and admire about a topic that I struggle with in my own faith tradition that I'm not sure that I want to teach to my children the way that they may be hearing about it at church. And I asked her, how do I go about that conversation? I still attend and I still believe I just have some nuances in what I believe on certain topics. And she said, you tell them that you tell your kids, here's the topic. You might hear this at church. This is what I believe about it, and this is what dad believes about it, or you have him say it, and then you say, in our family, we're allowed to have varying beliefs and to discuss them and to grow. We don't all have to see things the exact same way. And I think so often as parents, we can be like so hush-hush about our concerns or our questions or the things we're grappling with and not want to tell our kids when it's a great exercise in differentiation to show them what it looks like to question, to work through things, to say, I'm still working on that one too. I'm still figuring it out. I'm learning. I'm praying. I'm doing all those things. So is dad. And what do you think about it? And here are their thoughts on the topic as well. Yeah, I love that. And we've been able to do that with our kids. And now we've had five years under our belt. And so we've been able to see what that looks like with our own children. Studies show that 50% of your own children and grandchildren will not stay in the belief that you grew up in. And so 50%, that's a lot. Yeah, 50% is a lot. And so you can guarantee 
that some of your children may not believe like you in the future. And the power of the knowledge, knowing that they can choose for themselves, goes much deeper <laughs> past the religion and to the heart of the relationship, which is what you want to cultivate with that child. Yeah. And that you will love them and respect them no matter what, even if they don't fall in line with what you believe or the way that you raised them, that they'll still have your parental support and affection and respect. Yes. Which is, I think, a core fear of so many people that they will lose that. If they lose their faith, if they lose this piece of them, that they'll also be losing these relationships that are really important to them is devastating, absolutely crushing for people to consider. Yeah, that's right. And it's because we belong to a tribe. And these tribe of people have raised us. And in a sense, they want us to stick with the tribe. Mm. And that makes a lot of sense. I know that a lot of adults now who are having their own crisis of faith or their own ideas are emerging. It is very difficult for our parents who are in that 50, 60, 70 age to understand that this may be part of their kid's journey. Mm. And that is a hard thing to learn and to accept at an older age. It just is. Yeah. And so the more freedom and agency we can give our children to give them that voice to choose for themselves, the better off we will be in our relationships moving forward. And the more that we acknowledge when our children are little that this may be part of their journey eventually, the less crushing it will be for us if yeah. that is a part of their journey later, if all along the way we are acknowledging you still have a choice, you still have agency, and my love for you is unconditional no matter what you choose. Yeah, absolutely. Let's take a quick break to thank this episode's sponsors. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. In this episode, you'll hear me talk about how important it is to have someone you can talk to and process your emotions with when you or a family member is going through something really difficult like a faith transition. A therapist is unbiased and specially trained to help you sort out your complicated feelings without being too emotionally invested in the dynamics of your family, like a friend or a family member might be. Therapy has absolutely changed my life and helped me through many difficult life transitions, and online therapy makes going to counseling so convenient and easy. As the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. If things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com 3 in 30 today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com 3 in 30. This episode is also sponsored by Every Plate. Do you want to save money on food this year? Every Plate is America's best value meal kit. Their lower price is what sets every plate apart from other meal kits, and their meals are 25% cheaper than grocery shopping, so you can count on great value week after week. Our family often resorts to takeout for last-minute dinners, but I found that it tends to be more work in disguise. We still need to choose somewhere we agree on, pick it up, and factor in wait times. In the end, it really doesn't save us that much time, and it is so much more expensive than eating at home. Now, we just try to plan ahead a little bit for those busy nights and use Every Plate's quick, satisfying meal kits. Their meals are 58% cheaper than your average fast, casual meal. My husband recently made the caramelized onion burgers with potato wedges while I was out of town, and it was a hit. Fast and easy for Dad, who was solo parenting. 
He and Sally liked the caramelized onion topping, while Noah opted to eat his burger plain, and that was just fine too. Get started with Every Plate for just $1.49 per meal by going to everyplate.com slash podcast and entering code 3in30149. That's everyplate.com slash podcast with code 3in30149. What is your second takeaway for us? Okay, my second takeaway is to share in the discomfort. I would say that in my upbringing, discomfort was viewed as a negative emotion. Hmm. And most of us experience this. If you're in a religion, a lot of times the response is, well, if you're feeling discomfort, there's something wrong with you. Hmm. Or you need to pray harder. There are things that you can do to feel better. But we're never told that it's okay to feel discomfort and to sit in that because Mm. that's the emotion that's present. Mm. And there's a lot of discomfort and pain that goes along with you and your spouse when you're working through this. And a lot of times the tendency is to pull away. And for a while, I had this tendency to just shut that part down. I didn't want anything that felt uncomfortable, which means I didn't want to talk about it. And also, I wasn't allowing space for my husband to feel pain and discomfort. Mm. Um, I recognized that as being his fault rather than it being a part of him that I needed to validate and to just show up for. And that's a really hard thing to do. You know, communication, I would say, is just king when it comes to sharing in that discomfort and just sitting with ourselves, sitting with our spouses. I can remember multiple times, my husband in tears, (laughs) I'm in tears, and they're for different reasons. But both of those reasons were valid. And we would just hold each other and cry. And that was a really hard place to be. But it really brought us closer together as we sat with that. And in the communication piece, we realized early on, there are good ways to communicate and there are poor ways to communicate. Bringing something up in bed right before we fall asleep and we're exhausted from the day was very poor timing. We decided that we would schedule time to talk about difficult topics. We would set a timer and say, okay, we're gonna give it 20 minutes And then I'm an internal processor. And so I would take time away and then circle back to it the next day or in a few hours when I was ready to digest and discuss. Hmm. So whatever you recognize is what you need and what works for you is going to be what will be helpful in the conversations. Taking breaks is a really good idea. It can be very all-consuming to talk about this all the time. It can be very top of mind. But there has to be break time where you can focus on things that you enjoy doing together that has nothing to do with the actual conversation. Just something fun and lighthearted and connective. Yes. To get away from these heavy, hard topics all the time. Yeah, I think we rewatched The Office and Parks and Rec and a few other things literally multiple times in that first year because it was just a safe place for us to sit and laugh and remember the jokes and the people. And it really was a good medium because we knew that there was this hard thing looming over us, but also we needed lightheartedness. And luckily we both love to laugh. So that came pretty natural to us. Yeah. One thing that I think is so unique about the experience of 
a mixed faith marriage or of one partner going through a faith transition is that you are both experiencing a really big loss and both of your losses are extremely valid. I don't think people who have never experienced a faith crisis really understand how incredibly shattering it is. Like the person who is going through this did not want this to happen. They did not seek it out. They are not lazy or sinful or anything else. Their foundational beliefs, the things that have held them up are being pulled out from under them and it is the most unmooring, devastating, uncomfortable experience in the world. Like they are not being selfish. No. And so for them to be going through that and then for you to understandably be grieving about the loss of this shared belief with the person you love, it's so hard and you both need someone who's safe to process with. You need a therapist just for you that you can bring all of your grief that you can say to them, I'm so mad that my partner's doing this to me. All the things that you want to say so that you're not dumping all that stuff on your partner who is hurting. Yeah. So you can, you have that safe place to just blot, blurt it all out, say it, process it, and then you can go back and be your best self with your partner who is in pain going through this transition. Right. And, you know, that looks different for each partner, especially depending on if you're an introvert or if you're an extrovert or, you know, how you process things. My husband really needed someone that he could go to. And like you mentioned, a therapist is great for that. We were very careful about who we talked to as far as family members and friends go. We had very, very few people because we wanted people that would be team mount. People that would cheer both of us on and were able to hold space for both of us and that wanted our marriage to succeed, whether that be a therapist, a friend, or a family member. We really tried to decide who would have that best interest at heart for us. And something that I've learned is a shift in belief can really reveal the truth in your marriage. And the truth was that we really did love each other for more reasons than just the belief. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to work through this. And that was a great starting point because from there, we decided that we chose each other for who we were and not who we thought we would be in the future. And we were able to build on that. Yeah. Oh, that's so powerful. I feel like this leads really well into your last takeaway. What's your third and final takeaway for us? Yeah, our third and final takeaway is support your partner in their journey. So we've done a lot of grieving together. We've done a lot of celebrating together. We have found ways to honor each other where we are at and support each other in our belief, non-belief in our ideas and in discussion. One thing I really appreciate is that I think for a hot minute, Alan tried to pull me in one direction. Mm -hmm. And that actually just backfires if you try to pull your spouse or partner in that direction. And then, you know, I gave him the freedom to decide where he wanted to land without any type of strings attached. And he did the same for me. And so this last Sunday, I spoke in church. And you know what, my kids all came and Alan came to support me and hear me speak in church. I've gone with Alan to other churches to see if that's something that resonates with him. He's really into the cosmos right now. So we do a lot of 
interesting reading and watching about the cosmos with Neil deGrasse Tyson. We have found ways to support each other as well as our children. So back to the kids. The Mm -hmm. kids are a big deal because a lot of people say, well, what do we do now? How do we teach our kids? How do we move forward? And we have this great idea that we've used and we call it out all the time is we say, take it to the lab. So if you think of a lab, you think of scientists who try things over and over and over again until they see that something works. And then, you know, maybe down the road, there's a new discovery and it doesn't work any longer and they try something else. And we use that a lot in our home. We say, you know, this week we're going to take it to the lab and we're going to try something new, which takes an incredible amount of flexibility. You know, we've tried both of us going to church. We've tried giving our kids an option, whether they want to go to church. We've tried asking them to go to other churches. We've done a lot of different things. And I feel like there's power in letting our children know that we don't know everything. And it's okay to try new things. It's okay if something's not working and we need to adjust. And that's a really difficult thing for people to embrace is because they want to be known as the authority figure. They want to be known as someone or something that will always be there for their kids to teach them the right way. And here we're saying to our children, you know, we don't know what the right way is. And right now this is working for us. And we may decide to change our minds. And that's okay. You can change your mind about something. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's a big gift we've given to them because they, one, have a say in their own development. And two, like they also know that whatever they choose to do moving forward, we're going to support them and we're going to try it out with them. Yeah. That's so beautiful. I feel like when I was in the midst of my hardest points in my faith crisis, I would sometimes ask myself, like, what do I know? Do I know anything? And that word no became almost painful for me. I'm like, there's a lot that I hope is true. There's a lot that I hope for, but I don't know that I can say I know things anymore like I used to be able to. I have faith in a lot of things, but faith is different than knowing. And when I'd ask myself that question, what do I know? I would come back to, I know that I love my children so much. And I know that I love my family so much. And that was like one of the only things that I could say. There's no sliver of doubt in my mind. And so if we can communicate that to our kids, I don't know everything. But what I do know is that I love you and I am here for you. And dad loves you and he is here for you. And We'll navigate through this together and we'll figure it out. I think it's also important for our kids to hear us talk positively about the other person, even if their behavior or values is different than ours. You know, I deeply love and respect my husband's believing heart. And so I say to my kids, I have more questions than dad on this, but I love that your dad feels so connected to the divine and that this is so important to him and that it's a rock in his life. And I really respect that about him. So I think it's good for them to hear us express that within our marriages about the things that maybe we vary on or we differ on even. Yeah. Alan and I have these discussions quite often with our kids and Alan will say, well, for me, this is how I think or feel, but 
if he's having a conversation alone with a child, he's like, you should go talk to mom because she feels differently. And, you know, she's got really good ideas as well. Mm. And so we never put each other down. We are always affirming. And, and I feel like that's a really nice testament to what mixed faith marriage can do for everybody. Yeah. I'm so glad you're ending on that note. And I just want to leave the listeners some encouragement if they are in this place. So you mentioned that you grieved deeply for seven or eight months after Alan decided he no longer believed. Where are you at now? And do you have words of encouragement for people who may be in this crisis place right now within their marriages? Sure. So for those of you in this crisis right now, I know it'll feel like it, it's never going to get better, that it, it feels like it's going to always be hard, that there always is going to be tension and discomfort and sadness because you are grieving the life that you think that you should have had mm. by marrying <laughs> this partner. And, you know, your spouse is doing the same. They're grieving as well. But I would say that as you communicate, as you find good people in your life to help you through this, we have a community. There are therapists out there that are doing great work. I would just say that you can start there. And if it just means that you can find one person to talk to, that will help alleviate so much of that. There is a community of people out there for you. And please reach out anytime. Yeah, that's a great segue into tell us where they can find you, your show, and the resources that you offer. Sure. So you can find us on Instagram at Marriage on a Tightrope. You can find we have a Facebook page, um, Marriage on a Tightrope. It is closed, meaning um, you have to apply to get in. But if you're in a mixed faith marriage and you answer four questions, we will let you in. And it's really you can come and see the community and what they talk about. And our moderators do a really good job of trying to keep it as respectful as possible on both sides. Mm -hmm. We also have a course. If you go to marriageonatightrope.thinkific.com, there is a course. And we do these courses a couple times a year with a therapist. And you meet other couples like you. It's online. And you can find out more information there. Okay, great. And we'll link everything in the show notes. Katie, thank you so much for the work that you've done on yourself that has radiated out to others, that you've had the courage and the vulnerability to say, let's share what we're learning, even while we're learning it, you know, <laughs> instead of waiting till you had it all figured out, yeah. you know, thank you for starting your podcast and recognizing that it wasn't right, that there wasn't a place for this conversation to happen. And I'm just so grateful for you and all you're doing. And thanks for coming on 3 and 30. Thank you so much for having me. Many thanks to Katie for sharing her hard-earned wisdom on this super important topic. If you're in a challenging place in your marriage due to faith transitions, I hope you found at least one little gem in that conversation to give you hope and let you know that you're not alone. By way of recap, these were Katie's three takeaways for supporting your marriage when you or your partner is going through a faith transition. First, shift the way you talk about your beliefs to focus on what's personal instead of what's communal. Katie calls this utility-based belief instead of truth-based belief. So instead of saying, we believe this because it is truth, say things like, I believe this, or for me, this belief has been incredibly hopeful because... And remember that you can continue to focus on the values you share with your loved one, even if you no longer share the exact same religious convictions. 
Some of those values might be service, honesty, compassion, adventure, or hard work. Second, share in the discomfort of your loved one. A faith deconstruction has likely been an incredibly difficult experience for them, whether or not they felt comfortable sharing the extent of their pain with you. Do your best not to blame or judge them for their shift in belief, but instead share in their discomfort, while also allowing yourself to process your own. Of course you are going to have your own feelings of sadness and grief to sort through, so find a trusted third party that you can talk to about your feelings so you don't have to dump that out on your partner. A therapist is a great person for this kind of processing, as well as a dear friend or family member who you know loves both you and your partner and wants the best for your marriage and for your entire family unit. And third and finally, support your partner in their journey. Take breaks from the heavy and hard topics to just laugh with them and reconnect with them. Believe them when they tell you about their difficult faith experiences and allow them to have their own journey. Differentiation in marriage is incredibly hard work, but it will ultimately bring you closer as you realize that you don't have to be or believe exactly the same in order to hold deep respect, admiration, and affection for each other. I want to end this episode by reading that poem by Carolyn Pearson that I mentioned in the episode. This was originally published in 1974, and 50 years later, it still rings so true and could be so applicable on so many different topics within marriage. I hope it will be a blessing to you on this Valentine's week. So here it is. The Valentine. I loved the Valentines we made in school. I never cut the hearts out flat. The two sides would never match for me. I always folded and centered and scissored out half a heart that opened into perfect symmetry, so they never had a side that was fat and a side that was skinny. I loved them for that. It felt sort of nice and tidy that way. The day we saw the shape of our being one, as if it had opened from some good design that made two matching halves, yours and mine. But I find we don't stay put like paper. We are not comfortable with glue. Your edges have shifted, stretched, and mine have too. But not to a pattern. If we folded our halves up today, they would not fit. Occasionally, I itch for the scissors, I will admit. Ah, well, I will put away childish things, cut them off like braids. We are no valentine, you and I. We are something so alive, so moving, so growing, I cannot yet put a name to the shape. I only know it goes on and on and on, pressing toward whatever border there may somewhere be. Your center and mine are one, and between the halves there is flow. That is much. I will let the edges go. My friends, it is my deepest hope that this episode can help you to stay centered in your love for your partner as you navigate a shift in belief, knowing that there can still be so much flow between you. I am rooting for you. Katie is rooting for you. And we both hope you have a beautiful week with your family. Hey, I'm Lizzie Mathis, the host of the Cool Mom Code podcast, where motherhood is your key card to the coolest spot in town. I'm excited to give you a behind the scenes, real talk combo between some of the most influential and tastemaker mamas I know. Subscribe and stay tuned for new episodes weekly on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen so you don't ever miss a beat. See you there.